Hey, hey! Welcome to another installment of Too Much to Watch. I'm Sam Papard. On today's show, finally, I will be providing a full review slash recap of Barry, the HBO comedy? Barry? I don't know. I know it's late, but better late than never. In addition to offering insight into whether I think it's good or not and analysis, I'll be offering my thoughts as to whether this show is a Pantheon show, what its place is in the greater scheme of prestige TV, and I want to talk a little bit more about Bill Hader because as an SNL alum, he has taken one of the most unique uh, pivots from just doing sketch comedy, and he has built an entirely new career for himself, I think. So uh, I really look forward to what he's going to do next. And I think that maybe that's worth talking about for at least a few minutes. So I'll get into all that. But first, I want to do a little bit of a continuation of my summer movie preview in the previous episode. As you know, we are storming ahead towards the climax of the summer movie season. And that is Barbieheimer. By the way, there isn't a movie actually called Barbieheimer. That is the simultaneous release of both Oppenheimer and Barbie, which come out, uh, I believe, next week. <laughs> they both just had their red carpet premieres, or in the case of Barbie, it's a pink carpet premiere. And one of the things that studios allow critics to do after these premieres is they allow a social media reaction. There is still a review embargo, so reviews can't go up in websites or on Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that, but critics are allowed to give a review via Twitter or threads or whatever whatever else they are allowed to do in kind of a short snippet and just talk about their overall thoughts and give just a, a gut check on the movie, so to speak. This is often really entertaining, and I have a list of few of them. I'm going to read through them and offer my thoughts, and it's just going to be a fun little exercise. And also, <laughs> maybe I'll talk about what even is the value of these uh, social media reactions here, other than kind of anticipation and marketing and pure entertainment. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's take it away. All right. So, social media reactions. Yes, these are things that the studio allows critics who go to press screenings to do right after they see in the movie, give like a gut check reaction, usually via Twitter and maybe now threads. I don't know. We'll see. And it's really good for both the studio and the critics because this is free marketing for the movie. In addition to that, this is the main thing that the critic does. And usually these first reaction tweets uh, probably get a lot of impressions and they get a lot of buzz. So for the two parties involved, directly involved, uh, this is the most beneficial. It's good for consumers too, but I oftentimes think that it's not the best for consumers. And I I'm going to point to the example of The Flash. The Flash, which... Uh, was first screened at CinemaCon in Las Vegas, and that primarily at CinemaCon was probably critics, although I, th I think you could get tickets to it. Uh, to the critics who did see it, I mean, I remember there were critics' reactions who said, like, this is one of the best superhero movies ever. Uh, 
and this is going to turn superhero movies around. And that just really wasn't the case. And that's not the only example I have of that. I've had many times where I've seen really good first reactions to movies, and then it was like, meh, afterwards, and it was just fine. So I think with these social media reactions, I think you take a you take them with a bolder-sized grain of salt, a boulder of salt, if you will, uh, because they don't always offer the most accurate picture of things. It's really just a the thoughts of a critic after that critic walks out of the movie, and not all the thoughts are fully formed yet. So that being said, it still is, if you're highly anticipating something, it can still be a whole lot of fun to uh, look into these things. So without further ado, let's dive into some of the reactions that have just released for Oppenheimer. And by the way, the reactions are really positive, which is awesome. We have the Los Angeles Times former critic, Kenneth Turin, hailed Oppenheimer as arguably Nolan's most impressive work yet in the way it combines his acknowledged visual mastery with one of the deepest character dives in recent American cinema. Very positive stuff there. We have Matt Matum, who is the deputy editor of Total Film, says Oppenheimer left me stunned. A character study on the grandest scale with a sublime central performance by Killian Murphy, an epic historical drama, but with a distinctly Nolan sensibility. The tension, structure, sense of scale, startling sound design, remarkable visuals, Wow. We have Lindsay Barr of the Associated Press uh, tweeting, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer is truly a spectacular achievement in its truthful, concise adaptation, inventive storytelling, and nuanced performances from Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, and the many, many others involved, some for just a scene. And yes, that is the power of Christopher Nolan, folks. Uh, Everyone wants to be in his movie, and sometimes even big actors will appear for just a scene or two. Um, We have Jonathan Dean, who is a writer for the Sunday Times, wrote, Totally absorbed in Oppenheimer, a dense, talky, tense film, partly about the bomb, mostly about how doomed we are. Happy summer. Murphy is good, but the support essential, Damon, Downey Jr., and Aaron Reich, even bring gags, an audacious, inventive, complex film to rattle its audience. We have another reaction here from Gregory Elwood of The Playlist. I was skeptical, but Oppenheimer has stuck with me since seeing it last week. Yes, it's three hours, but in a dense Scorsese way, in the last 20 minutes, why Emily Blunt clearly took the role, and that's a parenthesis, by the way, brings its three narrative threads to a moving conclusion. Wow. So uh, just a couple of these reactions seem like this is um, what I'm gathering from these reactions is that this movie is dense as all Christopher Nolan movies are. And it looks like there's narrative threads, but it doesn't really, one thing that's interesting is it doesn't specify that this movie has events that are out of order or doesn't jump around in time, which I don't know, maybe that would be kind of a breath of fresh air. Uh, it doesn't also, one thing that they don't mention is that it's not convoluted, uh, which many, many, many Nolan movies typically are. I, they just mentioned the word dense, not convoluted. Let's continue with these. We have Robbie Collin who tweets, 
am torn between being all coy and mysterious about Oppenheimer and just coming out and saying it's a total knockout that split my brain open like a twitchy plutonium nucleus and left me sobbing through the end credits like I can't even remember what else. Wow. So apparently Oppenheimer, which is surprising, I thought it was going to be kind of um, like horrifying or uh, awe-inspiring, but people seem to be moved by this movie, which is... (laughs) I got to say, that's kind of surprising. I, di- I didn't expect him to go for that. But if Nolan was able to achieve that, then good for him. We have another review here that says Oppenheimer is dot, 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 incredible. The word that keeps coming to mind is fearsome, relentlessly paced, insanely detailed, intricate historical drama that builds and builds and builds until Nolan brings the hammer down in the most astonishing, shattering way. <laughs> and then again, remember this movie premiered in France. We have Elsa Keslassi. Uh, she tweeted, a sign that French audiences loved Oppenheimer is that they stayed in front of the Grand Rex Theater long after the film ended to debate about it. So this is the kind of movie that you think and talk about long after um, that sounds good to me. Those are, I actually just went through the variety webpage and they offered some of the reactions there, but there's a couple more that are on the Hollywood reporter. Usually these trades do a good job of aggregating these things. Um, there was one, uh, reaction that I saw that I really, really, really liked. And that is from Josh Horowitz, who is the host of happy, sad, confused. And he wrote Oppenheimer is one of, if not Nolan's best work. And that comes from a huge Nolan admirer. I've seen it twice. Wow. That's incredible that this guy was able to see it twice. Good for him. Impeccable, immersive filmmaking of the highest order. Killian Murphy gets the role he deserves in love with Downey's work. This one demands your attention. And then out of quote, uh, it says that Horowitz went on to add extra praise for Downey by saying, I'm ready for a full-on award season for Robert Downey Jr. His work in Oppenheimer is stellar. And the reminder, we didn't need that he's one of our best actors and movie stars. And that really stood out to me. Um, This is really maybe the most prominent thing that Robert Downey Jr. has done. This is the most prominent role that he has taken on since maybe even becoming Iron Man, I will say. So I'm just very much looking forward to it. We're so used to seeing Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, and he's really good in that role. Don't get me wrong. But if you have not seen Robert Downey Jr. in a role outside of being Iron Man, I highly recommend you do. I actually just watched the David Fincher 07 film Zodiac about the Zodiac killer, and he's in that movie as a journalist, and he's really good. He really stands out. And the unique thing about Robert Downey Jr. is that he's not just a really good actor, but he has that kind of that movie star quality about him. That's just this magnetic charisma in real life. He's actually a very charismatic person and he translates that onto the screen. So I'm very excited to see Robert Downey Jr. And Killian Murphy for that matter, who is really in American movies has done mostly side roles, prominent roles, but more like supporting roles. So this is really his first big lead role. And if you have watched Peaky Blinders before, and if you haven't, I highly recommend you do. He's really fantastic in that role. 
I think that this is going to be an entirely different animal, though. I don't think this is going to be a Tommy Shelby-like performance. So very excited about all that. So overwhelmingly positive first reactions for Oppenheimer. Again, take that with a very heavy grain of salt. It could be a different story once the reviews start rolling out. So we shall see. But overall, I can't, I'd be lying if I said that that didn't increase my excitement for Oppenheimer. All right. So let's pivot to the first reactions of Barbie which also came out just a little bit earlier when they had the pink carpet release. Uh, I'm going through variety here. So this first reaction is from Screen Rant writer Joseph Deckelmeyer, and he writes, Barbie caught me off guard, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's funny, bombastic, and very smart. Greta Gerwig aims for the fences and hits a home run. Margot Robbie's performance is great, and Ryan Gosling and Simu Liu are pure entertainment. The whole cast is brilliant. That's a very positive reaction. We also have Perry Nemiroff, who writes for Collider. And she actually gave a little bit more of a mixed reaction and has said that I have seen Barbie. The craftsmanship is incredible. In particular, the costume and production design includes next-level work that heavily contributes to creating the feeling that these truly are Barbies, their dream houses, and the worlds come to life. When it came to the story, however, she had more mixed opinions, stating that I think the film serves Margot Robbie's Barbie and her journey especially well, but there are other characters experiencing important arcs that needed more screen time to really dig in and explore them to their fullest. A little bit more mixed. That's the first kind of negative thing that someone has said in all of the re these reactions that I've read so far. We have next Jamie Girac of comicbook.com. <laughs> Interesting critics that you're putting up here. And uh, it is said, I can't officially quit Twitter before telling you all that Barbie is currently my favorite film of the year. Greta Gerwig somehow exceeded my expectations. She tackles the positives and negatives of Barbie so beautifully. Give Ryan Gosling an Oscar nomination. I'm dead serious. Whoa. Okay. Um, that would be interesting. But hey, I don't know. Don't, uh, don't doubt Gosling, I guess. We have Sharonda Williams saying, Barbie the movie is witty, heartfelt, and downright fun at times. Ryan Gosling is a scene stealer delivering most of the laughs while Margot Robbie's heartfelt performance will tug at your heartstrings. While I enjoyed most of the film, the screenplay feels bloated at times. And we have a couple other reactions here. I am going to read Barbie is Perfection. This is from Katki Stefan. Katki Stefan, sorry if I butchered that. Uh, and this is Variety's social media editor. Greta Gerwig delivers a nuanced commentary on what it means to be a woman in a whimsical, wonderful, and laugh-out-loud funny romp. The entire cast shines, especially Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling in roles they were clearly born to play. Very good stuff. Wow, that is really high praise. Uh, finally, we have another reaction that came out that says... A lot of us strive to be perfect like Barbie, but the film will show you you don't always have to be so perfect because even in a perfect world, 
We still have flaws, and that's okay. It's for teens and an adult crowd who grew up with the franchise. So for the most part, very positive, but it's not like the overwhelmingly positive reactions like Oppenheimer. There are people who say this is bloated a bit, or yeah, that kind of goes hand in hand with what Perry Nemiroff said, who said, you know, there's just too much going on in this movie, and some of the characters are underserved. And you can only do so much in, I assume this movie's roughly two hours, maybe a longer, maybe less long. So good stuff all around though. Um, again, I love listing stuff out. I love reading stuff out. I had fun with this segment of the show. Um, I will continue to do more stuff like this. This was fun, but it's time to pivot to Barry. All right, so to recap this episode, let's get it started. Uh, we start with Noho Hank calling Fuchs to make peace by giving him Barry because he has Sally and John. Fuchs is not interested after Hank's attempts to kill him and says, you got any more rockets for me? But again, he changes his mind after he sees Sally and John. <laughs> So this kind of leads us to believe that, oh, we're going to start to get a showdown here. We're going to get Fuchs and we're going to get Noho Hank all meeting in the same place. And by the way, who else is on his way? Barry. Yes. So we're going to get the three kind of main forces of chaos coming together to meet each other. And we're going to get a big fireworks showdown. At least that's kind of what we're led to believe because Barry is already on his way, except he does, of course, has to make a stop at the big box store which is like a Walmart or something like that and go back, go to the back and get some uh, guns as he just says guns. And you see him in turn <laughs> walking out like through the children's toys aisle around a bunch of kids with like multiple long guns strapped to his back. Uh, you can't help but think that that is very much a scathing um, statement by Bill Hader. <laughs> and, there is a very funny moment where he has both guns strapped to his back and then just sits down in his car with them still strapped to his back. And it's, I don't know, I, I burst out laughing at that moment. And then he speeds off towards uh, the location of Noho Hank. Meanwhile, we also get this other scene where it's uh, cuts out to Buckner, who announces a press conference that Janice Moss's death, the case around it, has been reopened. And um, Jim Moss claims now that Gene is a suspect in the death. And uh, so now Gene is really in a pickle here because um, he came back to America after living abroad for eight years uh, to set the story straight on his on this movie that's going to be made. And instead, now he's actually a fugitive and his life is kind of ruined and uh, the role in the movie or his role in making that movie has now been, you see him kind of scrolling through all these articles on like variety and the Hollywood reporter. Uh, it's all articles about him and that he's been kind of like, I guess quote canceled. So I think oftentimes in a finale, you need breakthroughs to happen. One thing that I often think of is uh, the breakthroughs in breaking bad and I think of when Walt visited Skylar for one last time and in visiting her, 
he says to her, finally, instead of, I did it for the family, I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. I felt alive. And it's kind of like this come clean moment of true honesty. And uh, I think that that's something that's um, very effective and kind of cathartic in a way. And the same thing actually happened at the end of Better Call Saul, where Saul, uh, Jimmy McGill, finally kind of came clean about the force that he was to his brother. So in this episode, there's quite a few moments of coming clean, basically. And the first moment that we really get is this excellent moment while Sally and John are held hostage. Uh, Sally kind of awakens from being detached and an alcoholic for many, many years and confesses to John that they've been running from the law for eight years, admitting that Barry is a killer who escaped from prison and also confesses that she killed a man and is very upset and deserves whatever happens to her. But she also says, you're a good kid, though. And we get this very sweet moment where her son hugs her. Um, but it's uh, it's this moment of coming clean and Sally almost kind of awakening from a slumber. And you get one last uh, excellent performance from... Sarah Goldberg, who I look very much forward to as to whatever she does next. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a new uh, role on season three of Industry, but we just don't know when that's going to happen because there are multiple strikes going on right now. And um, all the costs are being cut at all these uh, networks. So we'll see. Uh, Here's hoping. That's an entirely different podcast. So anyway... We get this great moment, and then they're separated. Fuchs finally arrives, and uh, he demands to see John. And I think Noho Hank wants to wait till Barry shows up so we can kind of really have a final finale because he wants Barry killed at this point. Fuchs then has his kind of come-to-terms moment where he says after spending many years in prison, he is hardened now and kind of has become the person that he has been manipulating for all these years. In a sense, Barry or anyone else that he was manipulating, he was kind of the guy behind the scenes, the puppet master. And now he is uh, kind of the puppet of his own darkness in a way. Uh, And I love the way he says it. He says, you know, after getting every, spending every day getting beaten to within an inch of my life, I realized what I really am, a man with no heart. It's very well said. It's just, it's an interesting way to say it rather than instead of a bad person or a monster, a man with no heart. And just coming out of Stephen Root's uh, mouth, it just, uh, I don't know, there's some, I just thought it sounded really well. It was really well-written dialogue. This leads to an ultimatum that Fuchs brings to Noho Hank where, and Sally just does nothing but turn away. And the next morning awakens to find that Sally and John are no longer there. So this leads to maybe a final confrontation that we have. And we see Gene looking at all these articles. Uh, His agent is trying to get him to come out. uh, As Gene is now a prime suspect in this case. And... Barry arrives and a confrontation starts to ensue. We think we're maybe going to get another confrontation here and another showdown. Uh, And it's a tense moment. And Barry is looking for Sally and John. 
And after a little bit of uh, ruckus, so to speak, we get another final shot that really, really stood out to me. And he says, I'm looking for them. I'm looking for them. Where are they? And then the, um, Tom, who is Gene's agent, just says, they're not anywhere to be found. They're not anywhere to be found. And kind of starts reasoning with Barry. And he says, listen, it's actually good that you're here. Maybe you can actually help out Gene. He's in a lot of trouble. And at that point, we get this really nice shot that pans in on Bill Hader's face. Uh, and you see, I, again, we have to credit, we credit him as a director and a writer. I don't know. Do, how often do we credit Bill Hader as an actor here? Because this is really fantastic acting with nothing more than his face. And he's able to hit this perfect facial expression. That's this perfect amount of confusion and anger and sadness and remorse simultaneously because he still has this kind of angry look on his face but then all of a sudden like it kind of transitions to this sadness and his voice starts to quiver and asks well, where are they how there there was no one here really and then at that point it's agreed upon that hey maybe you should just call the police and at this point i'm thinking oh wow we're gonna get it like this nicely wrapped up ending at the bow and you know what i don't hate it I like the idea of Barry coming clean and uh, Sally and John escaping and maybe Gene finally a kind of who is now this tortured soul under this dark cloud of Barry escaping this. But instead we get Barry just gets shot and sits on the couch <laughs> and uh, Gene just has this horrifying glance at him, like truly menacing glance at Barry, like, Look what you wrought upon me. I don't even care what's going to happen. I'm I'm so angry with you. Yeah, and, and Barry just goes, oh, wow, and gets shot in the head and dies. And Gene sits on the couch and then Tom's outside in a panic calling the cops. And end scene. This is the climax of Barry right here. This is it. There's nothing but falling action after this. Truly a shocking shot that pans out on, I don't know if it's relieved Gene, but he's just sitting on the couch uh, afterwards. And um, you see Barry with a gunshot wound to the head, dead. Um, and uh, this was a shocking moment. And this is, I guess, the aptly titled, wow, oh, wow, moment. <laughs> um, and so then we think, oh, well, I guess, uh, you know, Gene never can escape this and he's just going to be um, now he's going to be guilty for the death of Barry. I don't know. Maybe there's something self-defense there, but I guess this is he's driven to such rage that he got his vengeance, I guess. But also at the same time, now he's going to be in a lot of trouble with the law and he might be still the prime suspect. Uh, we don't really know. It pans out and the scene ends and then it does a flash forward. And we see snow. Uh, actually, we don't see snow yet. We see a performance of, I didn't even know what this was, but this is uh, something called Our Town. This is a three-act play. So Our Town, a performance of Our Town at like a high school. This is a high school. And Sally is now a high school teacher uh, running the school play program. Uh, so she has a future. And you could see everyone applauding. And John is still with her they're living together and now i guess he's in high school maybe 
So he's really grown up. And they're living a life together, maybe somewhere in the Midwest, upper Midwest, though, because we see a lot of snow outside. And um, yeah, they kind of get somewhat of a clean ending. Um, And then uh, John, who clearly is okay with Sally and now well-adjusted, visits uh, with a friend and goes over his house to like sleep over or something like that, or at least just, just to go over. And he has a talk with them and they asked, and then his friend eventually puts on a biopic uh, called the mask collector, which is about Barry. And um, John warns his friend, Hey, I don't know if I should be watching this. My mom said I shouldn't watch it. And this is where the true horror starts for me. Um, once this came on, I was very unsettled because basically we get now this movie that comes on with Barry being portrayed and it's like actual actors being portrayed by Jim Cummings as this kind of, uh, this Marine, this heroic Marine figure. Who's now, I guess, a sympathetic figure who's in Los Angeles and is become an actor to deal with PTSD, um, And it now portrays Gene as this manipulative kind of evil figure, this who has a British accent. Um, Oh, no, 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 no. He doesn't have a British accent. I'm sorry. Um, And then it shows Gene kind of as this puppet master and shows the leader of the Chechen mafia for who, for some reason, has a British accent. And the movie portrays Gene murdering Janice and forcing Barry to dispose of the body. I mean, whoa. The movie just basically makes up facts as well. And I can't help but think that we're getting some level of commentary on Hollywood and the obsession with biopics and the obsession with true crime and the obsession with um, playing loose with the facts. Uh, It's just... It's really awful. And what else I took away from this is that the cloud of Barry's darkness is so awful. It is so awful that it will purvey the earth long after Barry has passed. There's no escaping this wave of darkness. You think that, yeah, you thought in this show that has been so dark and has been a literal nightmare in the fourth season that we were going to get a clean ending? No effing way. We are not going to get a clean ending here. So it was it was a very clever way to end it. And clearly Bill Hader has a lot of thoughts. But man, oh man, oh man. It doesn't, it just ends on such a dour note. Almost like the, like a horror movie or something like that. Um it lionizes Barry, who, yeah, Barry, who was an awful person and a monster, uh, is now lionized as a hero. And Gene, who is kind of just this, maybe like a bit of a nasty guy and a narcissistic guy, but also more or less, an, you know, I guess an innocent guy, certainly compared to Barry, who was swept up in this wave of darkness and was in addition to all the people Barry killed, he was a true victim of Barry's monstrosity. And the film then ends, and the epilogue states that Gene is serving a life certain... uh, The the epilogue of the film 
states that Jean is serving a life sentence in prison after being convicted of the murders of Janice and Barry. So that just leads me to believe, like, was this, so Barry was like absolved of all the crime he did. And then that also says a lot about Sally and that Sally, I guess, you know, Sally kind of would be an accomplice. So she couldn't really say anything if she wanted to live a life, but she never like got involved in any of that either. So that kind of says a lot there too. Gosh. And John, who I don't believe knows any of the truth. And that's kind of the one of the, also one of the real monstrosities is the fact that Sally and John brought a child into the world, into this awful world of lies and uh, murder and darkness. And the film ends and John becomes emotional and smiles. And so he, we don't really know what's going to happen after that, but th- th- this lie, I guess, is going to persist. Um, man, what a gut punch ending. What a gut punch ending. I know that was a little bit of a detailed recap, but I think it was worth kind of diving into every little bit of details here. And I will say, this is only a 30-minute episode, so doing a recap of this versus doing a recap of a 90-minute succession episode, much easier. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I can see that Barry, uh, he, you know, with Barry, Bill Hader kind of wanted to achieve a couple things. He wanted a real skewering of Hollywood, he wanted somewhat of a fish out of water story. And then he also wanted this crime story with this wave of darkness and these kind of horrific thoughts. And what if this, and what if that, uh, what a unique show, what an interesting show. Um, Barry is truly one of a kind. There may be some connective tissue to some other ideas, but, uh, if you have not watched, well, gosh, if you have not watched it and you listen to this, what are you doing? But, um, if you haven't rewatched Barry, I think it's worth a rewatch and it's an easy rewatch because it's only 30 minute episodes. So I, it's worth diving into again. Um, gosh, well with that, uh, we now have wrapped up two all time great Pantheon shows. And yes, I know I was talking to say how I was going to talk about this as a Pantheon show. Yes, this is an all timer. In my opinion, it belongs up there. It gave us four great seasons. And I think my new rule is you need to do three great seasons of TV simultaneously, or not simultaneously, gosh, three consecutive great seasons of TV, and that makes you a Pantheon show. Barry did that. It actually did four. So there we go. It's in the Pantheon. I don't know maybe if it's up on the level of Succession, just because Succession is so unique, but it it's up there. It's up there for sure. If you want a show that is a really unique crime story, an amazing satire and scoring of Hollywood, and um, in addition to that, kind of a show about people who come to Los Angeles as fish out of water from the Midwest or whatever, and kind of their existence in this new world, and maybe they reinvent themselves and the efforts they do they uh, strive to to reinvent themselves. And you could kind of find that in Barry and what he does after trying to leave the life of being a hitman um, and Sally doing that, trying to leave the life of being a person who was abused and a person who tried to make it in Hollywood and then through some her fault and then some the fault around her sabotaged herself. Um, it all came crashing down for them when they tried to reinvent themselves. Truly an amazing commentary there. Uh, There's much more to this show than just simply being like kind of a funny 
dark comedy about a hitman who goes to Hollywood. That leaves me with commenting on Bill Hader himself. Um, what is Bill Hader going to do? It's it's very interesting because obviously he's going to take a beat. He deserves it. He made all this. He directed this final season all himself, including in addition to writing it and being the showrunner. I believe he had some help on the writing though, but still it's fair to say that he was involved every day from start to finish. And these are long days in production. And he would even say like, yeah, I stress eat. Um, I try to get as much sleep as I can, but you know, sleep is lacking. It sounded like a stressful time. Uh, so yeah, take a beat, take a year or something, but I think he's got some ideas. And after doing this, creating a hit show, he'll be approached with, from studios and streamers and everyone else, and they'll be like, what do you want to do next? What do you want to do? Do you want to make movies? Do you want to make TV? Uh, Do you want to do a little bit of both? And he'll probably get offers for a deal, a multi-picture or like a streaming deal or something like that. I think it's pretty clear, though, that he wants to make a movie. He's a major cinephile. You could see influences of a lot of stuff. He stated that No Country for Old Men was a major influence on it. And you can kind of see that in some of the ways that he does his set pieces in Barry. There's even some Western vibes in there. Um, Maybe Reservoir Dogs with that one scene. He's a true cinephile. So my prediction for what Bill Hader is going to do is that he's going to sign a multi-picture deal with a studio it actually makes sense. At first, I thought he was going to do sign with Universal, kind of in the way that Jordan Peele did and the Daniels did. But what actually makes a lot more sense, Warner Brothers is looking for a win. They've had a lot of failures lately. Um, that's an entirely different podcast in its own right. <laughs> They've had some serious flops. They're probably about to have a win with Barbie, but The Flash was a huge, huge flop in a big way. Uh, In addition to that, Shazam was a flop. So they're looking for people who can create stuff that maybe can sell stuff. And I think Bill Hader is totally capable of making a horror movie or a thriller or something very interesting. So it's my prediction that he will sign a multi-picture deal with Warner Brothers and maybe in the next five years come out with a movie or two. And uh, yeah, and he will become one of the kind of Hollywood directors on the rise, a guy who can make really good movies. And that's what I hope he does. That's what I hope he does. I mean, even on that podcast on The Ringer with Sean Fennessy, it was uh, discussed that like, is Bill Hader going to make a horror movie or going to make a movie in general? And uh, Bill Hader, uh, I believe, answered, you know, he's off putting about that because you don't want to promise anything publicly, but... uh, I think he loosely expressed interest in making a movie. Yes. And he probably could. He probably could. So, um, gosh, I think we can all be excited. We can all appreciate Barry at this point, but I think we can appreciate big things from Bill Hader uh, in the future. I certainly look forward to it. But that closes the book on Barry. What an amazing show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope you enjoyed my review slash recap of it, which is long overdue. Hopefully I don't have something that's that big and that important in the landscape of prestige TV. Take that long to come out again. All right. 
that is all for today's episode of Too Much to Watch. All right. That is all for today's episode of Too Much to Watch. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we will be diving into the movie event of the year, and that is, of course, what else but Barbieheimer. I'm very excited, and I'll be attending a screening of Oppenheimer next week, and I'm going to try to see Barbie as well, but yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm excited for Oppenheimer, but after seeing trailers for Barbie, I'm excited too. And I've liked uh, Greta Gerwig's movies, and I've liked uh, Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig's writing as well. So how can you not be excited? Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do a double feature, but I'm certainly going to see both of those movies. Uh, also, we need to talk about the writer strike going on. There are updates. It's looking pretty grim, and now there's an actor strike too, so... With the whole entertainment industry, we're in a pretty grim place right now. <laughs> there might be too little to watch soon. That's a really corny joke, but seriously, though, uh, it's not really good, and it's worth talking about. So I'm going to probably dive into that as well. Until then, thanks again for listening. I'm Sam Picard. This has been too much to watch, and I'll see you next time. Later. Later.